Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to the Delicious Podcast, Extra Portion, with me, Julie Smith. This week, we've got more of Stephen Lamb of River Cottage, who we met a couple of weeks ago in the January episode. Stephen is Hugh Fernley Whittingstall's second-in-command and the author of River Cottage's 16th handbook, this one focusing on cheese and dairy. I met him by the fire of River Cottage itself, where he lived until recently, to find out about the farm behind the TV series and how cheesemakers are rebranding bacteria as the new hero of British artisan food. He began by telling me how it's only a matter of time before he gets found out. I come from that background, working class life from Manchester, where supermarket was the norm. And it was, wow, you can get tomatoes all year round, what's wrong with that? And I, I kind of suffered with imposter syndrome in my early years at River Cottage. I was waiting for somebody to tap me on the shoulder and go, uh, Stephen. Aren't you that worthy? Yes, from that's it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Found out. Sorry. And you know what? Um, it, it used to carry uh, um, the, the emphasis of being imposter syndrome. Used to mean that whenever you know when a chef puts on chef's whites, mm. right? They look like a chef. When I put on a chef's whites, I look like a dentist, <laughs> right? Or a vet. And it's because you know, in my head, I am this imposter. But. See, one of the things about being here at River Cottage, you've been here from the beginning, and, you know, that's probably now 17 years for me. And I'm a bit of a charity case, because I'm mostly unemployable anywhere else. However, they've kind of taken me on. And, uh, Put you up in this very house. Well, like, yeah, exactly, you know, my Until wife... they came in, did they kick you out when they brought the cameras in, by the way? No, no, but they do tell you to shut up. And that's kind of one of the reasons why we left. My wife and I, Ellie, who, she also works at River Cottage. We lived here, and uh, it was both brilliant and awful at the same time. See, um, we get about 25,000 people a year coming on the farm, which is an amazing thing. And my first reason for doing it is, you know what, I want to slipstream Hugh. I want to kind of learn what it's like to live in the place that you talk about in terms of following the seasons. I wanted to do the lambing. I wanted to grow the veg. I wanted to keep chickens. And it kind of gave my job, uh, it became a way of life. Mm. And it kind of gave it integrity. And that was amazing for me. All these kind of things that I was nervous about not knowing, I took on and, and learned. And it was one of the best apprenticeships. And yet... Uh, being on site uh, at the other end of the scale is that you can't watch match of the day in your underpants. Uh, at the end, kind of yeah, because like. people come up to the window with their hands over their eyes, just looking to take a peek to see Hugh. And of course, Hugh never lived here. He lived in the original River Cottage. He's never lived here, and um, it's slightly unnerving. But he did. We are 
in the middle of nowhere, what are people doing looking in through the windows to see if they could see you? Surely you can see them around here because there's literally, you can't even see anything other than cows and sheep. You're right. We're in uh, 100 acres of beautiful uh, organic farmland. Uh, but it's a busy hub river cottage. You know, there's something on every day. Yeah. You know, we're the small holding. Of course, we're, that's the backbone of what we do. We're also a backdrop for a TV programme. Yeah. And, and, you know, that kind of gives it a slight otherworldliness. But it's not a studio. It's a kind of knocking on the table and the walls. It's a living, breathing space. It's probably nice and warm here by the log burner. Yeah, well. it's all right. My mum used to say, don't get too close to the fire, get corned beef legs. <laughs> Still don't know what she meant. I don't know. I know yeah, but you know, don't get too close. And you know, it's a cookery school, and we're trying to be not the centre of excellence for food, but we're trying to promote all the good aspects about living the good life, about sustainability, about learning and engaging in food as close to the source as possible, and uh, having a laugh. Really, mm. you know, um, I think that one of the the uh, best things about what we do here, this is my personal view, I might not necessarily be towing the company line, is that we live and work in a really vibrant foodie community. Mm. And you can turn 360 degrees from where we are here in Park Farm on the Devon-Dorset border, and you will come across somebody outside of the organic bubble of River Cottage who is doing amazing, brilliant things they might be producing amazing beef they might be growing amazing spuds so we can tap into that and we can celebrate them and i think the best thing about being a relatively well-known brand in this industry is that you can stand up and champion other people and say bob the farmer across the way there god he makes amazing spuds right and we grow an acre of spuds here But we buy 20 acres of spuds off Bob the Spud Farmer, right? And that's brilliant. Yeah. And as you probably saw as we came down the track, that in the 65 acres, there's uh, a stocking densities of animals are very low. I don't think it would do to see hundreds of animals, mm. right? We're, mm. we're way below what we have the capacity for. Mm. And, and we're not playing at it. It just means that... You know, somebody from the centre of Manchester, like myself, if they come to River Cottage, if they were overwhelmed by the amount of animals and hundreds of crops, they'd think, well, how does that relate to my balcony in Burnage, Manchester? Well, it doesn't, does it? So we divide the site up into little pockets, pockets of excellence where we've got like urban planting around this bit where we are in the house, one acre plots, allotments, polytunnels, and much bigger areas, small holdings. The other end of that scale is that quite often we get people coming to River Cottage and they go, right, we're going to jack it all in. This is the, this is the way of life for me, mm-hmm. right? And you think, well, good luck with that because, you know, you're going to be quite poor and probably poorly within a year through the stress of it, you know, but we don't have that. We've got this whole kind of underpinning where we're doing courses and events mm. and um, a really good team behind us who are kind of responsible for, for the growing and the animals. Yeah. So the animals here, is the, are they dairy cows? No. So the, so your book then... Yeah. Let's go back to imposter syndrome oh, yeah. here. Yeah. It's, it's basically a book about cheese and, and, and dairy products. Yeah, what do I know? What do you know about that? Yeah, thing, absolutely nothing. Uh, you know what? It's an interest, right? Because we don't do any dairy here. But there's... Obviously, a lot of dairy going on 
around the county and you know and those people that I champion are the ones that are kind of you know the the, the ones that smell of goaty cheese all day you know not the one that kind of go oh yeah I'm fancy making a mozzarella once in a blue moon that's totally valid but you know these people are kind of plying their trade day in day out and um, for, for me, it's kind of allowed me to feel comfortable with regionalism in food and identity. I think cheese and dairying really has kind of provoked this pride in the area that people are applying their trade. Did you not feel comfortable before? No, I felt that I'm English by accident. And um, and I really like being English, you know, for all the good reasons. I don't mean like, come on, England. Uh, I mean, actually, there's some really cool things about being English. In relation to food, I think we're really soft. I think we're kind of a bit apologetic. And we sort of look, as my nan says, to the continent for influence. And, um, you know, we don't have a national dish. And yet... If you look very closely in every pocket in every county, there is a Red Leicester, there's a Cheddar, there's a Wensleydale. You know, there's all of these really cool ingredients, products, dairy products mostly, that are actually going, it's from here Mm. and we love it. Mm. Yours is okay too, right? But... It's very interesting, and it was at one point in danger of being totally homogenised, no mm. pun intended, because this whole aspect of uh, pasteurisation and raw milk mm. and identity and craft and product was almost lost, save for a few people who were really uh, fighting to, to, to keep it alive. And why was that? Was it anything to do with all that sort of sudden sanitisation that we kind of got in, obsessed with, the, the anti-bugs? You know, there is an element of having to embrace this kind of small or invisible uh, microflora world. I consider myself now, as a cheesemaker, the head of security at the best bacteria nightclub in town, right? So you're stood on the doorway and the good bacteria can come in and the bad bacteria you can kick out back onto the street. But there is control there. It's not just finger in the air. But there is an element of science and sorcery. And to get back to your kind of you know, original point, why did it become almost the case where we, we lost everything... Well, you know, a little bit about uh, the after effects of the war and trying to, you know, make cheese and produce cheese, but do it to a kind of uh, degree where it was centralised and and control and rationing. There was a reason uh, behind doing that. Ministry of Food were Mm. perhaps one of the first Mm. people to try and and do that. Mm. Not Jamie Oliver's, we might add, the the actual... No, no, Jamie Oliver, see, no, he's a good guy. He's good. I think he'll go far. I think he's all right. Yeah, you heard it here first. <laughs> and, right, I'd stand behind Jamie Oliver in any fight. He's a good egg. And, you know, right, how pasteurised milk is a good thing. We think of it as a good thing. And ultimately, there is a good thing. Milk is safe for longer. It can travel. And yet, the kind of natural bacteria that is present in raw milk, unpasteurised milk, means that the breadth and depth and flavour and texture of cheeses has also diminished. I'm a real advocate of raw milk and I'm, you know, I'm not being flippant mm. with the risks that that may introduce. Mm. Um, but, you know, it's, um, it, it's better to have 
a bigger pool of flavour and texture and handle it well. See, there was a point uh, uh, recently, you know, Salaire, Salaire cheese mm. is an alpine cheese and it's made using a particular breed up in the Alps, in the French Alps. And uh, it's been made the same way for hundreds and hundreds of years. It's raw milk that is left into wooden vats that have never been cleaned. Mm. And the kind of natural bacteria mm-hmm. forms a cheese mm. and uh, it's delicious and it's world renowned. And recently, there was some legislation passed to say, hang on a minute, lads, that's obviously dangerous and sterile. Um, We'd like to test it. We'd like to do a test. And they allowed this test to take place, whereby they dropped deliberately listeria, bacteria, into one of the wooden vats. And um, the, the milk, the raw milk in which the bacteria was deliberately placed, attacked the listeria bacteria and knocked it on its head because it was so powerful because it was so potent yeah right now there's something in that yeah. isn't there uh, and and you know if you've got good bacteria in your gut yeah that's fantastic for you well of course it is it's where yeah. we're going now isn't yeah. it i think there are two two things in health it's going to be mental health yeah right yeah. and we're, we're all going to have to be responsible for that yeah. and it's gut health yeah okay so probiotic prebiotic all of the stuff that you cannot actually physically see but you feel and you know it's doing well i talk about kefir grains in 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 the book to create a starter i know it's kind of bit gorilla it's a bit provocative i don't think many people will, will, will do it but it works a treat and it's a kind of um anti establishment sort of uh, idea. Do you know what I learned? I've learned so much, right? Uh, and I'm not pretending to be an expert. It is writing a book, isn't it? Yeah, you know, it is. When you, you have a great idea, yeah. and it's a great opportunity to discover everything. It is, and it has been, and I continue to, to, to do it. Um, and I always find myself in the presence of people who know far <laughs> more than I do, and I sort of take it on board, and I yeah. sort of, um, I try not to sort of absorb it as a sponge and pass it off as my own knowledge. I try and kind of yeah. get to the point where I've got the same experience. Anyway, what I learned was that of all the cheeses that are made from pasteurised milk, they have to be inoculated with a starter bacteria, mm-hmm. okay? And they're synthesised in laboratories. The frightening thing that I discovered was of all the thousands of cheeses around the world that are made from synthesised starters in order for them to form good cheeses... Those starters are owned by just two companies in the whole world. And one of them, DuPont, is a petrochem organisation. I find that shocking. It is. You and, know? And, and so what you're kind of saying with your book, and because this is a, the New Year, 2018 New Year podcast from Delicious Magazine, are you basically saying, come on, guys, let's make our own cheese. Let's take us, let's have a little revolution and take it away from the petrochem. Yeah, companies. come on, let's knit our own yoghurt. <laughs> No, I am saying that. I'm saying have a go. Don't be afraid. Take some ownership. Have this really kind of really brilliant little revolution renaissance. And you can find out more about making your own cheese in Stephen's book, Cheese and Dairy. And let us know how you get on via the website, deliciousmagazine.co.uk. See you next week for more behind the scenes of the most delicious bits of the British food scene.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer after for years to come try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee plus get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com code buttery exclusions apply see site for details